Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. My faith lies in humanity, not the supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. Today, I have an old friend back on the show, Mike Myers. For those who remember, he did a few early episodes uh, with me when I was just starting out. In many ways, we are very similar people, very like-minded, and I think we're going to start doing uh, more episodes like this where Mike and I get together and talk about different aspects of spirituality, religiosity, the occult, and how they intersect with a naturalistic worldview. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Mike Myers on the intersection of magic and art. All right, Mike Myers, welcome back to Reenchantment. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this a lot. You had brought up a starting off point to, to this talk, uh, a quote by the singer of Tool, Maynard James Kanan. Uh, and yeah, what is that quote? He says somewhere in an, in an interview, if you don't believe in magic at some level, be it God or whatever, then your art is going to suck. <laughs> which I think, which struck me as a really interesting perspective. I think historically, it's there's there's a lot to be said about it, and I think that there's a lot to unpack there. So I, I had brought that up to you. Yeah, it's a it's a bold claim. It, it, it's a very bold claim. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. It, it's and when I read it, it I I didn't know what to what to think about it at first. I felt like I I had to sit with it some. But something, it felt like it was getting at something uh, that I, as, as an artist, understood intuitively. Mm-hmm. There was another quote that you, you brought up afterwards by Theodora Adorno mm-hmm. that I felt was a really great compliment to it. And what was that quote? Magic, or pardon me, art is magic freed from the lie of being truth. Yeah. Which is a beautiful line. Absolutely stunning Adorno is a very difficult writer, but he can be a very beautiful writer as well. But there's something to it. There is some relationship between art and magic. In, and I'm using magic in a big sense, right? Religiosity, in this case, would count as... And certainly, I mean, my background is in music. Certainly in the history of music, like, uh, musical notation was developed for religious reasons, a lot of the history of music is bound up with the history of the church in for 10,000 different ways. Mm-hmm. There's something I think about devotionality and the search for transcendence that's built into the arts, the sort of longing, a certain uh, yearning for a world that's otherwise than this one that that needs to be there. Yeah, because it's art is not just representation of the world. Like it's it's not yeah. just trying to give a blueprint and like this is exactly how the everything looks exactly as it is. There is that component of yearning, and it it made me when I read those quotes. It when I was reflecting on them, it brought me back to I think why I wanted to become an artist in the first place. Why mm-hmm. I started 
creating pieces of visual art, writing. Mm-hmm. It's to create a world that is that is other than this one. Mm-hmm. And many of my favorite pieces of art, whether they're movies or pieces of animation or books, mm-hmm. kind of they change the re- the reality of, of that that I exist in, or 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 rather allow me to imagine a different reality and inhabit it, mm-hmm. even in, even temporarily. Yeah, yeah. No, I I absolutely agree. And furthermore, I think that there's a transformative dimension, right? I mean, I think that we go into listening to a piece of music or, or looking at a piece of art, and ideally where we come away from that experience somehow being transfigured or somehow being changed. There's this idea of art as being this ennobling force in, in humans that I think is, it, it's a very classical idea, but, it, but I think it survives to this day. Furthermore, Adorno also says somewhere that we need art because nature fails, right? <laughs> natural beauty isn't, isn't enough for us. Na- huh. Natural beauty, he says something like, art keeps the promise that nature breaks, something like that. Interesting. So there's this idea that, that's not a direct quote, by the way, that's, a, that's kind of a paraphrase, but he, he, why can't we just go up to the national park and get our fix? For Certainly we do get, get filled with, with nature and certainly we do get something out of, out of that experience but it's it's true that it's not enough right mm-hmm. this this world doesn't provide doesn't provide the images and the it doesn't it doesn't fill whatever longing is is there in in our humanity so we make things in order to do it yeah it, it brings to mind i've thought a lot about the difference between films uh, and animation so mm-hmm. live action films versus animated ones and i i love animated films mm-hmm. and i thought a lot about you know, why what is what does animation give that like a real real world action film does not and it's it's an element of well it's the, it's the difference between in some ways a photograph and a painting mm-hmm. there is the painting and the animated film feel to me closer to the imagination yeah and the, the the film is is truer to life representation of reality, mm-hmm. but in that something is it, it, it's further from the imagination. It's further from the our internal world. Yeah, it's further from expression, right? I mean, if if you just think about dreams, for dreams are are certainly not representational in any conventional sense, and. I'm trying to think of my dreams right now and and trying to think of is there how concrete are the things in my dreams I'm not sure honestly but there is this ability for animation to produce its own sort of internal form and logic that is distinct from the real world I think that there are ways that animation doesn't I think that there are there are genres that animation can't capture as well. Like I think that that horror anime is never quite as good as a horror movie mm. because you need that like like representational like impact. Yeah. There are certain things like that, but but it has to do somehow with with form and how form fits together and how that how 
This is getting very abstract. I apologize. <laughs> um, it's, it's it's hard it's hard to keep it from getting abstract because we're dealing. I guess we're dealing with abstract you know yeah, notions and, and and yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of alternate ways that if you design if you design if you do storyboards or something for you're you are let's say you want to pick the triangle as the you're going to be using a lot of triangles and you're going to be using a lot more triangles than are in the real world and so you you have you have this element of form that is that is going to set that that imagery apart from the real world in a certain way Mm -hmm. but it's still going to be coherent yeah what i mean yeah and I guess bringing it back to to the uh, original quotes that that in some way, let's say talking about Maynard's quote of you you need to believe in magic in some capacity or else your art's gonna suck because I, I guess what what he's getting at is you need to understand if you're just r- representing the world as it is mm-hmm. it's that's kind of shallow art in yeah. a sense or it's or it's it feels thin and then what is really missing there is that element of the internal inner world the imagination the the dreamscapes that live within us mm-hmm. that infused into art infused into the representation of the world almost like superimposed upon it or or even like smuggled into it that really resonates with with us as human beings because i agree it's it's in a way it's it's speaking to the truth of both worlds both the external world Mm -hmm. and our internal world at the Mm -hmm. same time and i mean i would i would propose yet another reading of that quotation which is that to be an artist and at some level is to be childlike Mm. right and derrida mentions when asked about prayer he says, if I pray, then my prayer is more than one age, right? There's a, hmm. there's a small child in me that believes in, in God and who's up in heaven and all of this. And then there's an older me who's read Nietzsche and, and Freud and has, has a very different perspective. And so there's more than one age happening at work in that mm. prayer. And there's something about being able to access that that. that does believe in in fantastical things right that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have the sort of iron grip of reality plugged into its brain that there's something about that that i think brings out brings out good art a sense of playfulness a sense of being able to color outside the lines and also just the childlike hope that the work that you're doing can can actually be transformative to the world around you and to yourself and to you you imagine this piece of art that you make as a kind of talisman that you can that you that you that is a catalyst for for positive change in the which is a little ridiculous maybe but at the same time i think every artist has to believe that at some level Mm -hmm. that there's some some transformative potential built into their art yeah yeah, and, and or that's also at the the core of of magic, magic as as transformation of yep. the world, whether external or internal, kind of alchemy of, mm-hmm. of words and symbols, mm-hmm. and yeah, and and that transformation, it's some some people view it as a kind of real world social transformation. Yeah, you know, but you can also, and oftentimes, I what I hope for my art is that it's changed the internal world of somebody else. That I, I, oftentimes I, 
aspired to really like give almost as a kind of guided visualization or meditation mm-hmm. through through some of my writing or poetry like like this is what the world could look like yeah. to you and that's that's definitely what some of my favorite films and and books have done for me mm-hmm. sure i think that that's one of the markers of great art and i think that the question of what happens to your art after it leaves your studio or what, wherever you make it is always a thorny, dangerous question, right? Mm-hmm. Because some some people are more protective than others of their of their vision, of their intention, of their ideas. But in the end, like that protectiveness is is so futile. Like there's nothing that there's there's nothing that you can do. You could, the best you can do is the best you can hope for is that like it plays in the, in people's minds and like it 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 triggers things but but you do hope that that i hope that when somebody listens to my music that that i'm taking them on a on a specific kind of journey and that that in a way that can can bring them in touch with parts of themselves in a way that can be transformative in a way that can be i mean almost ceremonial Right. I, I always tend to look at art very and I think art and mysticism have a lot in common at, as well too. And I guess in, in this conversation mysticism kind of falls under the domain of magic, but but there's there's there really is the desire to bring out the best in your listener or your viewer or your your poet maybe maybe things link together in their head that you never even thought of that that are a big revelation for maybe there's something in their life that they can that they can work through or maybe there's a moment of empathy right where what you're feeling when you're writing something is what they're feeling and then there's a way in which all of a sudden you don't feel alone yeah know what i mean across kind of time and space you don't feel alone yeah yeah i think carl sagan had this quote that books are evidence that humans can work magic yeah that it breaks the shackles of time and we can mm. commune or, 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 or think and feel in pretty much the same way as someone uh, that lived a hundred or a thousand years ago. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a powerful thing. It's, it's something to, to real like, like all, all of our, our hopes for the existence of, of magic for the existence of, of, spiritual and mystical forces at least all of my hopes i i find in in many ways satisfied by art yeah i don't think that i can dissociate what i do as an artist from my spirituality if if there is such a thing i write when i feel sort of called to write it's a very vocational sort of experience i write is it writing music or writing music yeah. yeah It's a feverish, don't stop until it's done. And I have, I typically have a very clear picture. All of it, it feels, it's like, it feels like it's, like I'm not doing it. It feels like it's Mm -hmm. coming through me or something. Instead Um, of flow, instead of (laughs) channeling. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's being channeled, which is not, uh, I don't want to freak out your audience and say that I believe that it's being channeled because I, I don't, but it's very like it 
but that's how it feels. Yeah. Right. And I think I think that's a that's an important point because I think that's really what undergirds so much of the of spiritual, religious, magical belief is that we we experience these things and we've been experiencing them for hundreds and thousands of years mm-hmm. of whether it's ghosts or possessions or or moving changing things with your mind and your words and it's what kind of is evidence for it or maybe like where where these these concepts emerge is a sensation of of internal feeling yeah and and so it's it's not just to dis, to, to to discount this entirely i think is to discount a a very real human internal phenomenon mm-hmm. and and to cut out let's say magic and spirituality and all mysticism and all that uh, that encompasses from one's life is to cut out pretty pretty roughly a large part of the human soul or the human essence of sure. what it means to fully experience your life as a human being i agree and i think when we put i think as as artists it's dangerous to try and put too much of that process under the under the under the rubric of conscious reason dangerous i mean for the art i i don't think that that's how the best art is made whenever i've tried to sort of reason my way through a piece of music it might it might suck yeah it doesn't it doesn't so there's there's it has to come from it feels like it comes from somewhere and and it's probably the subconscious i was i was gonna say yeah like when when people right when people say that it it comes from outside of me or from from some other realm even when talking when people are talking about a religious phenomenon i I translate it in my mind as oh it's coming from your subconscious Mm. it's coming from a part of you that doesn't feel like you because it's not part of your frontal cortex it's not part of your ego yeah and it feels Oftentimes, I, I think like if you if you go on a on a journey outwards into the cosmos into into the other spheres of reality, mm-hmm. I think that really what's happening is you're you're going on a journey inwards Very. to your to your unconscious. Very probably. I mean, I I don't know. I am not at a point in my life where I can talk confidently about about people's experiences in that way. But I think I, I I would generally agree with you. I think that generally speaking, like I have no idea if there are other worlds, or certainly not if they've been accessed by people through. I mean, I've had experiences with with psychedelics. Can I say that on this? <laughs> um, you, you wouldn't be the first. I've had experiences with psychedelics that are that are difficult for me to rationalize within a scientific materialist framework right and i i i know exactly what you mean and i I had a guest on who who studies psychedelics you know as a as an academic as a philosopher really and he 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 had a very interesting way of putting it that i really like says like about 80 percent of the time 68 percent of the time i i can vouch for materialism yeah like that's the way that i live my life that's where i would put my bet if i had to put down money yeah and but then the other 20 30 percent of the time like he doesn't know yeah and and i i similarly have had with psychedelics those kinds of experiences that that for me make up i i would say like the 10 to 20 percent of the of 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 my my doubt or wonder about like maybe maybe there is something beyond the material yeah. that we at points have access to sure or at least beyond what we think the material is yeah um, 
it could it could it could very well be the 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 natural realm has all these these aspects and dimensions that are quite natural but we just haven't understood and 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 incorporated them into our physical understanding of the universe yeah and what i'm thinking of specifically is my relationship to time and and i think that that that's one of the first things that people tend to be struck by with when they do psychedelics for the first time is how like strangely time seems to but I've had experiences where things seem to go into fast forward mode and I don't know if I can explain that like I don't Mm -hmm. know I can't imagine what my brain could possibly be doing Mm -hmm. that that presents that phenomenology Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's not like I'm actually moving faster and it's not like the world is actually moving faster Mm -hmm. so how am I somehow getting ahead of the world or am I behind the world or am I like (laughs) right right like is I I can't make sense of of that experience without some kind of subjectivist tinge to so I always have it's what gives me maybe not only that but but things like that give me pause before and I think you, your friend who said sixty to eighty percent of the time is probably right. Like I, I'd probably be even more generous and say that like probably ninety percent of my experiences I, I'm comfortable going with some version of scientific materialism. But like there are ten percent of ten percent of the time, and it it it's usually things involving consciousness in one way or another where the world seems to all of a sudden that theory seems to not hold up right Right, Uh, right. and i get why we why we presuppose it to do the sciences and i get why it's solid and internally consistent and it's totally possible that that brain states can can account for everything that i've experienced like that's Mm -hmm. that's totally a possibility but it's also the case that that nothing about nothing that i know about neurology and the neurology of psychedelics can account for that kind of phenomenon mm-hmm. right and it doesn't mean that i have an explanation for it yeah there are ways in which we know there've been psychological studies where we know that the brain perceives time differently in different circumstances whether yeah. it's bored or engaged mm-hmm. like how how we there is seems to be like a, a ticker in 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 our in our minds yeah. that measures the lengths of time so so like i could i could totally see that that being that fluctuating and yeah. and the like but then again, right, there, there are certain, certain things that I'm, I'm not entirely sure that that's the only thing at play. But that has to be relative to things outside of yourself, you would think. Like, it can't have free, like, like, like there has to be a certain point at which I really am moving in relationship to the car. And there's some speed differential between me and the And I don't know, maybe it's weird to have everything when when you talk about a ticker in your brain it's 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 weird to have everything speed up it's weird to have everything slow down it's weird to have everything appear the same speed but but very drastically not be like you check your watch and it's like a half hour later and you feel like it's been 10 hours or something <laughs> right right like all these sorts of experiences that we have on psychedelics where 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 time seems to to bend and right and, right 
and and yeah ab absolutely and i was just watching a, a video recently on youtube visually representing general relati relativity yeah and the, the struggle there is how do you represent the bending of time yeah because that is a physical thing that we know happens we can measure mm -hmm. And and it's it's actually a fascinating video. Maybe I'll link to it in the sure. <laughs> in the in the podcast notes. But it, it it goes to show like this this stuff. Time really does bend and really is fluid. And I guess the the thing that well a lot of especially a lot of new age thinkers and and advocates they they say like look physics says the exact same stuff like time bends and it and morphs and all the like. And I guess I what I always kind of uh, retort with is like there's there seems to be a difference between physical time and uh, perceived psychological time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a difference between the phenomenology of time and the physics of time. Yeah, definitely. And and one step further, it is not, there are certain conditions under which time bends, right, in physics. Mm -hmm. And one of those conditions is not taking acid. <laughs> it's just not, it's not the same thing as going a third the speed of light. Or like, it's a different, it, these are different realms, right? And what, what, what is the, the water is that we use many of the, many of the same words and language uh, mm. to express both the physical and the, the internal emotional realms. Yeah, 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 that is, that is difficult. I don't know, I'm sure there's some analytic philosopher out there who can, who can parse these kinds of things out and make them clearer, but I mean, like Kant, for instance, thought that time was just something that our brain imposes on the world, and that reality itself is atemporal. <laughs> and that model, it sounds out there, but it's, it's very, very thoroughly argued. <laughs> and it, it accounts for a lot of phenomena that are difficult to account for otherwise. And, and it makes me, makes me wonder about, about someone like, like good old Kant, if he, maybe he was right, maybe there's, maybe there is something about some kind of special connection between consciousness and time that, that, that isn't there in the absence of brains or whatever, right? But... Well, let's 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 return back to, to back art. to magic and art. Yeah, yeah. We, we went we went on a on a on a trip. Let's say we went on an adventure, <laughs> on a journey. But yeah, talking about psychedelics, I, I think in relation to art, mm -hmm. I think that's part part of why a lot of artists are, are drawn to to these these states, these substances, and these states is it allows us to enter into the well the very the very kind of like raw heart of of our internal worlds and that's where art comes from yeah yeah i agree i i think that people are drawn to psychedelics for myriad reasons i think that people are drawn to art for myriad reasons but my intuition is that there is a link if you look at I, I, I'm always struck by like mandalas and stuff like that always strike me as being as being very reminiscent of imagery that I see when I close my eyes on mushrooms or something mm. so there's it's it's very likely a cross-cultural experience to, or it wouldn't surprise me if, if there if it was people doing ayahuasca on retreats and stuff like that the idea being to to somehow connect to some piece of yourself that's been 
discarded or ignored or even to or even the ability to step outside of the rules of conventional reality to a certain extent and and kind of take a very often that's been my experience with psychedelics of like like okay the world is over there now and i'm here and i can rest finally right like i'm not caught up in in all of not only am i not caught up in it i if i tried to be caught up in it I, it, it would be like like, like <clears throat> in fact if, if you if you try and re-enter the world and do stuff like you regularly you would do while still in the grips of the the journey yeah it's that's a that's a recipe for disaster <laughs> yeah yeah it's not gonna happen so i mean you, you have to let go of everything yeah. which is which can be a very restful thing i think it can be a very scary thing for some oh, people yeah. too terrifying because your your comfort zone isn't there but but there is something there's there's very obviously a connection between psychedelics and and magic it's not an accident that it's been a part of of magic whether it's mm-hmm. shamanism or or even modern forms of of using psychedelics in in ceremony yeah like it's it's that's where that's i think it's pointing also to again like my my theory of like both art and 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 magic are pointing to this the inner world like they psychedelics bring us to this world and both the artist and the magician so to speak find what they're looking for there because it's kind of the same thing yeah that is true i remember talking to a wiccan high priestess and uh, she showed me a very fat bag of mushrooms (laughs) and she told me a parable about a buddhist monk who sat on the shore of a river for 20 years meditating until finally he could float across the river without and he got to the other side and he saw the buddha and he said said look how awesome i am i just levitated across the river and the buddha said well why didn't you just take the ferry <laughs> and that was her wisdom to me with regards to to why didn't you just take the mushroom ferry <laughs> yeah exactly you can it's been said that you can achieve these kinds of states in the absence of psychedelics just by through meditation and through spiritual work that hasn't been my experience i have achieved other kinds of but not necessarily the same kinds of states as as psychedelics which makes sense because you don't have some external agent hijacking your nervous system right like it's a (laughs) but i've i've just been told that you can you can have these kinds of deep profound psychedelic-like experiences through meditation. And the search for that, there is something about the search for some, some higher realization, some higher way of being, some, and, and a maybe more sustainable way than you would find doing psychedelics. And that's that's kind of the the hope, right? Of or at least of those who are advocates of, of like the the slow the slower way working within a spiritual religious tradition. Like Ram Dass, for example, he has his big thing after dropping acid with with Leary and 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 the others for so long. He wanted something that was permanent that didn't you, you didn't have a come down. You didn't yeah. you never never returned to base reality, but retained this other state. 
and I think he. I think he found it in, he went to India and he studied with this spiritual teacher. And I think what he found, and I obviously can't speak for his internal experience, but was something that was less extreme Mm -hmm. in terms of his perception of the world that he had. It wasn't as extreme as the LSD, but it was more consistent. Yeah. And in that, I guess, is is maybe the the, the hope or the promise of, of those who... Who, who go the long way around the river. Sure. And I mean, part of that, I don't see how you can undertake that journey, that sort of mystical consciousness-raising journey without in some way being involved with the because the arts in some way express the same longing for altered states or altered ways of being. Mm-hmm. It's not a surprised to me that so many so many artists end up doing psychedelic drugs and so many people who do psychedelic drugs like play guitar right and even in their most like degenerate like people who who i don't want to single anyone out but but jam band kids who who like go from festival to and don't aren't really following any kind of spiritual they're just kind of it's just like kind of a psychedelic hedonism, right? Mm-hmm. Even in that kind of form, there's still some connection between between psychedelics and there's still some kind of connection to the arts and there's still some kind of longing for some other, something than, than the world as it is. And I wonder if those, if those spaces, if those festivals or fish shows or whatever the, whatever the kids are doing these days, are aren't representative of some kind of or some kind of gathering place where you get together burning man or like it does that take the place of 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 a spiritual tradition gathering gathering? yeah Yeah. or even traditions can emerge through that yeah that's i mean that's a great question i was speaking with somebody back when i was living in boston who is who loved yeah who loved going to to raves as places where where people are going and searching for this, these experiences. It's like the, in some ways, the epitome of art. It's, it's not only like you're going to see artists, both like musicians and many times visual artists are there too, and like the stages are, are, are insane, but also you are participating in art. Like your world becomes art. Mm-hmm. You, you see, you touch, you interact with things in a way that you are inside the painting. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this is actually something that I've, I, I've written about and, and thought a lot about religion as art. Mm-hmm. So rather than art as an expression of religion, rather than art as like a replacement for religion, religion itself, whether let's say Christianity as a form of art mm-hmm. or, or Kabbalah and Judaism as a form of art, mm-hmm. and particularly what form of art it is, it, the, the medium is reality itself. Yeah. And you're changing, by adopting a r- religious belief, in a way you're changing reality around you. Mm-hmm. You're changing, if you're a Christian, your perception of, well, uh, sometimes you know, the, the metaphysical realities. What lies up above, what lies down below, what lies after death. Sometimes y- you feel as if angels are, are in the room guiding your hand. The world is changed through your adoption of this religious belief system. Yeah. 
that is true and not only that not only internally but externally i think of there's a beautiful passage from from alistair crowley who is just shitting on southern evangelical talks about alistair crowley for those that don't know he was uh, he was a ceremonial magician who liked to troll the press and got a reputation for being like a child murdering awful psychopath but he, he was really he was a mercurial person but he wrote a lot about the occult and he wrote a lot about mysticism and he's he's an interesting guy and a good writer i mean i noticed you, you've got the necklace from dolomite necklace yeah, yeah which which he he invented that symbol he didn't invent it but it's 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 associated with him i'll gotcha. put it that way gotcha. the his he has a beautiful passage where he talks about the distinction between the slick genteel southern baptist with his white teeth and his suit and and tie and you think of joel olstein someone like and then he compares that to who i think it was saint jerome who spent 40 days in a thorn bush and like saint francis of assisi who's like plucking maggots off of his like sheepskin clothes and and thanking god for each one and crowley is using this to make a point about about this sort of he wouldn't say it's about capitalism and religion because he doesn't tend to talk about capitalism as he, the, the issue didn't 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 weigh on his mind i don't think but to me it's very apparent that this is this is about the commodification of religion right like mm-hmm. someone like joel olstein or even pat robertson or whoever these people are selling you and so but the reason i bring it up is because is because Christianity as an art form, when you say that, like the first thing that thinks that I think of is that little excerpt from that essay, because it's here's here he's juxtaposing these two different ways of being Christian as an art, like b- being the art form of and, and, and the um, and the aesthetic that is associated with that. Yeah, right. Like the the suit, the white teeth, the the clean living, and versus a a kind of well monk like existence, mm-hmm. like. Get, getting into the, the the dirtiness, the blood, the the getting close to the grid of the earth, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I guess there's it, it, it points also to the to the fact that well, let's just stay say even within Christianity, there are so many different ways of of expressing that theme, that form of art, mm-hmm. different styles, mm-hmm. using the same texts more mm-hmm. or less, using using the same supposed God, your aesthetic of being can can vary very very widely and then talking even across looking yeah. at, at, at a inuit versus a japanese monk versus someone in the in the sikh tradition mm-hmm. there there is both an external difference in aesthetic but also how they perceive the world mythologically speaking is is different there and their place in it and their place in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the the philosopher that that I was kind of drawing on for for this this analogy was Deleuze. Yeah, Gilles Deleuze. Yeah, where he was basically he was talking about the problem in philosophy is that they've been doing philosophy for like a thousand years plus, two thousand, mm-hmm. three thousand, and we still haven't seemed to really gotten to an answer. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it seems like to me religion has a, a very similar problem where like. Yeah. Religion has been around longer than that, and we still disagree so profoundly on so many things. Yeah, it it may be more useful to think of it as a form of art rather than a science of truth. 
Yeah, I think there's there's something to that, and I think there's something about it's a very Nietzschean notion, but the the aesthetics of the self. It's it's a question of how you discover your discover who you are, but it's also a question. It's a productive question of how you bring yourself into being, right? How you are continually bringing yourself into being, and how in in relation to what, right? And which is why I like. I mean, we did an episode where I talked about my relationship to the occult, and it's why I like that, like the syncretic approaches to religion, where you can just kind of cherry pick the bits you like and kind of discard the bits that you don't, and like that, there's no contradiction there, mm-hmm. right? I like that approach to religion. I don't feel any problem with that. <laughs> there are plenty of Christians who would who would accuse me of cherry picking to which I would say yes yes I am cherry picking and I'm quite happy to do so Thank I, lo- you. I love cherries I, d- I do <laughs> I don't I don't have a problem reading the Christian mystics and being deeply moved by it mm-hmm. right and not going to church and not going to church. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't feel like I have to accept the whole thing I think that so much of certainly so much about what magic and the occult is about is about cultivating a sense of devotion and cultivating a sense of of aspiration to transform yourself to 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 participate in your own becoming i guess you could say and to shape that through your will and to me that's what in a much narrower sense that's what what the word magic is is sort of all in your own becoming yes pretty much in a conscious way mm-hmm. right and and so th- that involves how how you how you speak how you move how you how you act absolutely what world you live in what values you live by what story and narrative you tell yourself about yourself yeah yeah and in fact, that, that that bit I've been thinking a lot about recently. The as as a writer, narrative is something I think a, a bit about. But recently, I've been thinking about it psychologically as well. And there's a there's there's narrative therapy where the whole point is examine the stories you tell yourself about yourself. Which which of them are, are dis- disempowering? Mm-hmm. Which of them are holding you back in certain patterns? And, and it, it goes to show, it really underlines the importance of those stories we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. both the, the disempowering ones and the empowering ones. And if we were to take up the pen and, and really take responsibility for our stories, stop living whatever narratives have been imposed on us, whether by our parents, by you know, politicians, uh, by our friends, mm-hmm. or by ourselves, and take, on, take up the pen and start to, to edit or rewrite or reconceptualize mm-hmm. your own story, that, that opens up a whole, whole you know, range of possibilities. Yeah. And, and I think in terms of magic, in terms mm-hmm. of taking, taking that as, as a serious way of engaging with the world, you know, as bringing in Nietzsche again, like, you know, he said, take your life and make it into a work of art. Yeah. Like, recreate the the narrative, the aesthetics, the, the, the very feeling of what it's like to be alive as a human being for you. Take that into your hands and make something beautiful of your life. Mm-hmm. It, the, I mean, the famous thought experiment is that if you had to live your life over and over and over again, eternally, mm-hmm. and you found this out, without changing would you be happy or sad about that right that idea of the eternal recurrence 
I wouldn't want to live my life twice more, much less, you know, <laughs> eternally, eternally over and over. That sounds like, but, but it, but it, but it brings up a good point, right? Yeah. Like, like if you had to, the, the difference between living your life eternally over again and living it only once in, in a sense, the stakes are, 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 are huge and high and pretty much the same thing. Really. Yeah. If you only have one shot, like what, why not risk? everything on it why not try and live the most beautiful you know amazing life that you you could whether it's what is it the difference is unbearable uh, lightness of being where you'll live only once or unbearable heaviness where everything you do is repeated forever in the in the kind of back and forth of mirrors of, of eternity mm-hmm. like the stakes are equally high yeah yeah that's true and they're equally unbearable yeah <laughs> and I get why people have notions of, of the afterlife under those conditions because the stakes all of a sudden go down. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to deal with like with the idea of of that things continue but not in the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you don't you you haven't fucked up at, like forever. Like no matter what you've done, you haven't you haven't screwed the pooch indefinitely. You didn't have one shot. You've got you have all the time in the world to work on yourself, and there's something about that that's that like like I get it, right? I get it, and maybe it's right. Maybe there is an afterlife. I don't I don't know. I have, I yeah. have of course. Then then it depends which afterlife you subscribe to, right? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't subscribe to any of them. I I'm this is this is something that I'm this is a question that I just don't dwell on. Yeah, and I think I think that's. This guy, the response I think of the the Buddha as well. Like when people were asking him, like, wh- yeah, where does response. everything come from? Like, where does everything go? He's just like, it's not. Those aren't the questions. Yeah, he would very often literally just not respond. He would he would just continue to sit. And someone asked him, why didn't why didn't you give that man an answer when someone approached him with a question like that? And he said he was looking for some kind of theory, and I don't teach that. That's not what I teach the way out of suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And a theory like that sometimes brings you into suffering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the traditional Buddhist idea would be that, that those are all abstractions that you have to let go. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. I'm pretty sure. But whatever whatever happens after that, I have, I just have no... I don't even understand how people can can claim that they that they know what that's going to be like like I, through through a great deal of, of artistry yeah I guess. <laughs> but even people who who will say that you just go in the ground and and stuff like that should that's what we and i get that that's what we observe but that's obviously not an answer to the question right that's right. sidestepping the question right i don't know how you could how you could even begin to get across get across the veil to to get a peek at what it, what it would be like it's to me it's just a foundational mystery that that it's kind of cheap to answer it yeah uh heard i think jamie wheel say like let's keep the mystery the mystery yeah yeah, yeah exactly i think yeah. that i really try to make room for mystery in my life right and and there is no bigger mystery than you know, what happens after you die. And in the first, not mm-hmm. your body, like we know what happens to your body when we, when you, but in the first person, what's that first person perspective like? And, and does that 
continuity of consciousness persists somehow or somewhere else or something like that. Certainly a lot of intelligent people have thought so throughout history. And I think it's fundamentally mysterious. And I mean, one step further, I, I think that part of art is mystery as well. And I think part of magic is, is, about, is about trying to revivify the feeling of mystery in the world for, for the subject. Yeah. Trying to understand the world in a way that even the most supernatural claims of, of people who are involved in magic and the occult, there's things like draw a pentagram outside your door so that evil spirits won't get let in or something like that, old traditions like that. All That's a very different world that someone's living in. And it's a different world in a way where it's a it's a it's a fundamentally more mysterious world right. in a certain way. Right? Yeah, and 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 that's in part like you you make by believing and entering into this kind of belief system, your world then takes on a certain aesthetic, a certain yeah. artistic look, where there are spirits, where there are devils and and imps and or or ghosts, mm-hmm. uh, and angels and demons and and all of this, and it's the very like feeling of the fabric of reality looks different in your mind and also emotionally yeah to wrap this up i think the moral of the story is if you want to make art believe in magic or it's gonna suck it's true and daniel loves pro wrestling (laughs) there's actually a great animation about pro wrestling i will say without a doubt i love pro wrestling in anime absolutely Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. For those of you interested, Mike is also a music producer. He has a new album out on Spotify called Twilight Adorations for an Audience of One. You can find him on Spotify by searching Cracks in the Real, his artist's name. He shared the most recent album with me, and if you like haunting alternative classical music, then this is something you're not going to want to miss. It is beautiful. Again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time on Reenchantment. <laughs>